All right. Are you ready? Um, it's been on all of our like social accounts. If you're on our newsletter, you get that. You've heard it before. Uh, it's in the bulletin, which we did not have today. Amen. And uh, I'm always excited about the bulletin. And then when I'm folding it, I'm like, I hate the bulletin. Um, so Christmas gift for the church, a folding machine, if you're into that. Um, I always, I've been saying that for 10 years, wish we had a folding machine, uh, but it's been in the bulletin. I've said it from here, uh, so most of you already know, but on Christmas Eve in this building, we're going to make a game-changing announcement about, uh, did you think I was going to say it now? Yes. No, uh, about, uh, about our church and some really cool stuff, and so make sure you're here for that. Only a few people know what it is outside of our leadership team. There's just a few people from, uh, from you, the, the laity, <laughs> as they say. Uh, but yeah, you'll have to be here uh, to hear that. It's, gonna be, it's been fun, however, listening to the guesses, the text messages I've received, the emails, the comments on our Instagram feed, which I just figured out this morning. It's like your whole small group. <laughs> what, did this happen at small group? Okay, I was wondering, because it was like one hit after the next, and I was like, these people all run together. (laughs) But some of the guesses, and you'll have to to, uh, refresh my memory if I get these wrong, but apparently I'm going to be parachuting in to the Christmas Eve service, so that would be cool. Not going to happen. I would get that wrong. I would like, anyway, (laughs) that would just be stuff on the street. (laughs) So... uh, Will I be live? No, I don't have Facebook. I'm sorry. Oh, you're not going to be here. Oh, you are? Yeah. What? Oh, you go to Florida. We're big in Florida, so it'll, it'll, you'll know. It's, uh, we're huge in Silver Springs. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's been fun hearing the guesses, and um, so keep guessing. Um, one of our missionaries knows, but they're not going to tell you, so uh, they've been sworn to secrecy. But um, anyway, I know you guys like the announcement of upcoming announcements. I know that's really exciting, but um, it segues into this because I think we all have experienced this, but does it ever feel good when someone says to you, I have some news for you? No, 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 no. Because in your mind, you're like, well, what kind of news? Is it good news? Is it bad news? Is it scary news? Like, what kind of news is it? For me, it's even just like the summons to talk freaks me out, right? Like, if, like if one of you in the building today say, hey, um, can we grab coffee this week? I want to talk to you. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Not unless you tell me what it is. Like, I'm not just coming in. Because, like, after 22 years of this, I've walked into quite a few of those beehives, you know, where I'm sitting down at the table drinking coffee and, like, just getting hammered. Not on coffee, but on your anger. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so just even, even just the invitation to get together or some email that I might receive that's like, hey, I, want, I need to talk to you. Can you give me a call? Like, I just my heart rate goes up. Does anybody else do that? Okay, good. I'm just glad that we're all together on this. As a kid, it would be something like the principal wants to see you, um, which I got to know really well. Um, you know, someone has whatever. But 
All, but here's the thing. When you hear the phrase, I have some news for you, um, it can, depending on who's telling you that, can cause great anxiety. Um, but all the mystery, all the anxiety, and all the fear goes away if before the word news, we hear the word, what do you think? Good. I have some good news for you, right? Cool. Tell me tomorrow. That's great. I can sleep, you know, I can sleep, I can rest. But all that fear goes away if we just add that one word, good news, good news. And as we move into the second week of this Advent season, our passage today that Ashley just read for us, it hangs on news that is good. It hangs on this announcement that's a good announcement. And what we learn on the road to Christmas is that this whole story, this Jesus story, is a good one. It's a good story. And it's good for us to hear it again and again and again. So I want to just look at one or two things here in Mark chapter 1, if you have a Bible with you. And this is, she read verses 1 through 8. Uh, this is known as the prologue <laughs> to, the, to the gospel. Uh, just, it's just an introduction. It's just laying out what's coming. And, uh, but within it are some really interesting and powerful things um, and Mark begins saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, son, the Son of God. And this is how he begins his gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's very different than the other three gospels and how they begin, right? Um, Matthew begins, here I'll, we'll just do a little fun, we'll just have some fun here, because uh, I'm in charge. Matthew's gospel starts with great excitement. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And then we have a whole chapter of people's names and begets and begets and begets. So that's exciting. Luke, I love Luke, he's such a nerd. Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely to, for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, who? That you may, you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's one amazing sentence, right? It's fantastic. And then John, can we just, gosh, man. People love or hate John. I'm a fan. But it's pretty, it's a trippy intro. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. <laughs> it's really weird. It's really strange. So... Oh, man. The jokes about the apostles smoking weed are the best. Um, but Mark begins his with these simple words. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No backstory, no birth story, just those words. It's a title. For a long time, this was considered the title of the gospel account. Right there, that first sentence. It's also not unique now, the word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. Let's say that together, euangelion. We get the word evangelion or evangelism from it. 
It means gospel or good news. Say that phrase, good news. Good news. So again, this is about good news. But the intro to Mark is not, that wording is not unique. Uh, In the year 9 B.C., uh, there's this inscription from that year celebrating Augustus, Caesar Augustus's birthday. And let me just read that inscription that I have written in my journal. I don't have a copy of the inscription. Okay. Uh, this is what it says. Listen for the phrases that sound familiar. Augustus restored the shape of everything that was failing and turned into, and turning into misfortune and has given a new look to the universe at a time when it would have gladly welcomed destruction. If Caesar had not been born to be the common blessing of all men, providence has filled Augustus with virtue for doing work as a benefactor among men and by sending in him, as it were, a savior for us. His birthday was the beginning of the world of the goodness, and that Greek word there is euangelion, the good news that has come to men, all men, through him. Does that sound familiar? Maybe? A little? It sounds like it's talking about Jesus. And what the writers of the New Testament did quite a bit was they took these phrases that were given to the powerful and they remixed them to describe Jesus. The term Savior and forgiveness and salvation and redemption are not Christian words. They are political words. And Mark begins his gospel with that, the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's the language of the elite, the power structures. This is how they identify themselves. It's the language of the privileged. And Mark takes that language and points to the real truth, but he does so from the bottom of society. All history is written by those in power. You should know this. Those who win the wars, they write the history. Those who conquer the lands, they write the history. All ancient history is written by the powerful. The Bible comes to us, very strangely, as a work written by those at the bottom. The Israelites, I mean, come on. Have they ever had a good year? No. The answer to that is no. They've had decent seasons, But as a people, always kind of at the bottom, always kind of homeless, always kind of like not sure, wandering, wilderness people. And somehow the history of our faith, the history of the people of Israel, comes to us not from the top, but from the bottom. And Mark takes that truth that the powerful write the histories, that the powerful write the ways of life, and he turns it on his head. So this very first sentence is just a mic drop. That's all it is. In the ancient world, people reading this text would be like, the, you know, someone would stand up and read it in the church and go, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Son of God, and the audience would say, ooh. Right? I don't know if you've driven down, uh, is it Briarcliff? Yeah. There's, <laughs> it's been there forever since I was a kid. There's something called the Little White House. Have you seen that? Really? I mean, like, who does that? It's a little replica, and somebody lives in it, you know? I don't know. I just think that's funny. But that's kind of what it is. It's like this, this is the White House, not your White House. 
terrible illustration. Really? Okay. Um, right before you get to Lakeside High School. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't even know how to end this conversation. <laughs> Let's just all load up in the cars. <laughs> wow. That's okay. I do. I encourage participation, which I appreciate. I sweat less when you participate. Um, you know, in the coming centuries from this writing, this would be the issue that would get so many Christians killed. The fastest growing cult in the centuries following Jesus and the years following Jesus was the Caesar cult, temples built for the Roman Caesars. And not immediately, but in the years following, this would become the reason that so many people lost their lives. Rome doesn't care that you think you're God. Rome doesn't care that you believe in Jesus, but you better believe in their gods. You better also pay homage to their gods. And this became a problem. And so this opening line is quite powerful. But the word that's so important for us is the word that means good news, that the gospel is not coming down to us from a distant, unapproachable God, but from among us in the person of Jesus, literally a hick from Galilee. I mean, this is, again, this is the subversive act of God. A guy from Galilee, I, he will be me in the flesh. And so this is what we have. And what we're about to hear in the gospel, and this is what this means, I have good news for you, what we're about to hear is not a doctrine or some sort of spiritual life plan, but rather the gospel that we listen to is news. It's an announcement. We get to do with it what we want and what we wish, but it is about something good. This is why the church year is so important, because it moves us through the good news of Jesus's life. As we move towards Advent and out of that towards Lent through that season into Easter, and we learn about Jesus's life again and again and again. And my question when preparing for you this morning was, uh, what, what is good about the story of Jesus? What is good about this gospel? Well, Mark uses the story of John to set the tone for that answer. And that's what follows. That's what Ashley read for us, this person named John who's baptizing people in the Jordan River uh, out in the wilderness. So who is John? Um, who is this guy? Well, when I was a kid, John was like always the felt board character that was crazy looking, you know? Everyone else was very manicured and like Swedish. And then, um, <laughs> but John was this really kind of like pig pen, just weird person. And he was always yelling. That's who I pictured John as. But what's interesting about the life of John the baptizer is that we know a little bit about him from the Bible, but we actually know more about him from other historical sources outside the Bible. He was that influential that other people picked up 
on his life. He was an influential Jewish teacher. He had disciples. Some of his disciples would, in fact, become Jesus' disciples. So he had this kind of school that people were learning in. But he was also a political agitator, which is what got him killed. He was essentially a journalist, and he gets killed because he's calling out Herod's improper marital, marital practices and sex life, and this gets him killed. Now, that sort of thing in political circles is kind of happening today. So imagine if we get the news that Trump had Anderson Cooper killed. This is exactly the kind of thing that was happening. And so, I don't, I, I don't wish that on Anderson, by the way. Um, just first name that came to mind. But this is what John was. He was influential. He was a political agitator, and people came to him. Now, John, or Mark says, uh, you know, all of Judea came out to see John. That, of course, is not true. It's just to say that it's a lot of people. His influences, his influences uh, wide and deep. But what's important about what Mark does with this story is the geography. The geography of John is what matters in this. And multiple times, Mark says that John's ministry of announcing the coming Christ takes place in the wilderness. Say that, the wilderness. Now, the wilderness in the Bible storyline is never a good thing. It's very interesting. Wilderness never has a positive connotation, and the table in the Bible never has a negative connotation. The table is always a place of joy and peace and restoration. And the wilderness is always a place of struggle, a place of uh, tension, a place of almost wrestling with God. And John does his ministry in the wilderness, away from social uh, influence of the city of Jerusalem, which at that time is a major city. He's away from the power structures of the world. He is very much in the margins of society. And intentionally, Mark begins the story of Jesus here in the wilderness, away from the places of power, away from where people would rather be, and in a place that's quite desolate, in a place that people go when things are bad, or in a place where people end up because things are very difficult. And it's there that he says, he quotes Isaiah, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare a way for you, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, that the good news raises its voice in the margins of the wilderness. And so, before I close this down, just so we're clear, John, or gosh, I keep saying John, John, Mark talks about John as being the setting for where the good news comes from and where the good news lives in the wilderness. And so a couple of questions for you. When have you felt marginalized? Think back to the last time that you felt sidelined or forgotten, alone, in the wilderness. Some examples that came to mind as I was putting this together were, I never feel more like I'm in the wilderness than when there's just like, I just keep failing at something, you know? Especially as someone with a, uh, a public career, 
You know, if I, if I don't do the coffee right, that's really lame, I know. But if I, if I, if I just, if I lead something incorrectly, if I make a mistake in an idea, if I just, if I make a mistake with you, I, that, I feel kind of in the wilderness at that point. Nothing, nothing, uh, this, because this has happened in my career, of course, many times, but someone will email and say, hey, I never got the information about the thing that I was invited to and signed up for. And that event has passed. And I'm just like, oh, you know, just feel, you know what I mean? Just, that's, that's my job, you know? And so I always have to email back and go, um, uh, I do not recall what you're talking about. No. Uh, <laughs> no, I have to email and say, oh, my gosh, that is completely my fault, you know, or something like that. But it, I still feel, and all the way to the worst case scenario of just letting someone down or um, just not handling a situation well. Failure, and I'm sure you feel the same way. When you fail at your job, when you fail in your relationships, when you fail at life, um, it just feels like you're alone. Or maybe just loss. I think loss is another big one. The loss of love, the loss of friendships. Um, Those can be deep wilderness experiences. Maybe you just feel unappreciated. Because you're like the overworker, and everyone around you is lazy, you know? There's, every company has that person that's just making up for everybody else, but they still feel unappreciated. Maybe it's something more, uh, more sinister, like addiction. Like there's just this thing inside of you that you cannot shake, and you're addicted to something that doesn't seem to go away, no matter how many ways that you try to work through it, and you just feel like it's a wilderness experience. And what John illustrates for us is that it is in those situations where God whispers to us, I have some good news for you. I have some good news for you. See, the religions of the world, and Christianity has become this many, many times before as well, is that when we are in the wilderness with whatever it is, all we hear is bad news. All we hear is, well, you should have, or you're going to have to make that up for God, or you're going to have to get your act together before things can straighten out. But the gospel is opposite of that. That in the wilderness, we hear God say to us, I have good news for you. I have good news for you and your failures. I have good news for you in your loss. I have good news for you when you feel unappreciated. I have good news for you when you are anchored in addiction. I have good news for you. And when I think about our church, the church is supposed to be a community of good news. That when we are together for just this hour a week, it may not take place at any other point in your week. I get that. But at least in these four walls, that we are a people of good news. Amen? That we are encouraging one another with, there's good news. And what is the good news? It's obviously of God's love and mercy and grace, the unending love, mercy, and grace of God. Uh, Several weeks ago, I got a text from a church member 
and it said, hey, my friend and I were talking about the announcement coming up, and we think it's this, you know, little hook there. I'm like, I feel trapped. Like, Jesus, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? And I say that, I, I say that because their guess was pretty close. So I didn't really know what to say. Like, if I go, ah, you'll find out, you know, they're just going to, you know, whatever. So they sent the text. They're like, we think it's this. And my heart was like, oh, my gosh, I need to be more stealth. And uh, I need to be more vague. And I, I didn't know what to say. So I, I texted her back, um, he who cast the first stone. No, I, <laughs> I texted her back. And this is what I said to her. I said, oh, it's even better than that. Because they were close, but they weren't quite there. So I was like, I feel, I feel in good conscience I can say that. You're, I like your guess, but it's actually better than that. And I got the answer back, oh, good. And then they left me alone ever since, so, <laughs> which is nice. But I think that is what the gospel is for us in seasons of wilderness experiences. Or in whatever we think about Jesus in our lives, we have to keep hearing it's, better than, it's even better than that, right? Um, when people say, you know, like if it's my faith, uh, my faith keeps me from, you know, I don't know, my faith keeps me from being angry all the time. I don't know. It's better than that. It's more than that, you know? Or I think I'm growing in my knowledge of Jesus, Great, but it's way better than that. Jesus is way better than all of those things. And the news of Jesus is always good. I tell my students this. This is just free. It's not in my notes. But uh, <laughs> as if I charged you at the door. <laughs> I think for so long in the church, and this may make no sense at all, but just trust me, it's true. We learn about Jesus through Paul. We understand Jesus through Paul, which is very confusing. It's better to understand Paul through Jesus. Because if you understand Jesus through Paul, you end up with this kind of like, he's out to get me if I don't do well, which is not what Paul means at all. But if that's where we're going, if we know everything about Jesus from something from Paul, then Jesus doesn't feel right. But if we learn about Paul through Jesus, it all makes better sense. And so I say that as a way to say, just stick with Jesus this season. Always go first with Jesus. And what you learn is that whatever it is, wherever you are, it's better than that. Wherever your faith lies, it's better than that. And what Mark's gospel does, and we'll see this through the year, is that it becomes this, uh, Mark has this tendency to show how inclusive the Jesus community is. It's controversial the whole way through. I have a friend who did her PhD work on uh, the liberation of women in Mark's gospel. Now, that's a niche right there. <laughs> but this is the kind of relationship that scholars even have with this book, is that there's so much controversial inclusion-based stuff. And we see this through the meals that Jesus shares with people and the people that he welcomes into his life. And then we are called to mirror the same thing.
This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and it's good news. Amen? Let me pray for you, and then Jeff's going to come and get us ready for communion. Jeff was not here last week, but we're going to, so just so you know, um, let's go in sections again, because that works so well. Uh, We'll start with these, second, and then third, so you can just sit and reflect uh, before it's your turn to go. So that's just some instructions, but let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the season that we are in. Uh, It's so exciting to move towards uh, Christmas and to celebrate the coming of your son um, and his birth and all the joy that surrounds those events. And God, we know that the story that we're walking back into once again is good. It's good news. We get to hear over and over again in so many ways that you love us that you were with us in the wilderness, and that your voice is there, and your voice is bringing good news to us, always reminding us that it's better, it's better. And so give us the faith to trust you and give us the eyes to see you. And as we celebrate these moments together of communion, uh, bind us together as a church family, encourage us, and it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.